Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Here at The Next Reel, we've been passionately discussing movies week after week since 2011. That's a lot of movies and a lot of conversation. Sure is, Pete. And to be honest, it's a lot of work, too. But it's work that we love. If you've been enjoying our show, we'd like to remind you that there are ways to support us, even if you're not able to become a member just yet. You might have heard us talk about our new watch page, where we've listed every movie that we've talked about paired with Amazon or Apple links to rent or buy the movie. Now we'd like to introduce you to our Originals page. Let's take a trip down memory lane, Andy. Do you remember what the first film we discussed on The Next Reel was that was an adaptation? Uh, well, let's see. It wasn't, obviously, our Indiana Jones series, because those were all original. Uh, then we did Charlie Kaufman. Uh, oh, of course, it was Adaptation uh, from Susan Orlean's Orchid Thief. Exactly. We have covered quite a few adaptations over the years, and now we're providing a way for our listeners to delve into the original source material. That's right. Just head over to thenextreel.com slash originals, and you can see the list of all the adaptations that we have discussed. From our David Fincher series, featuring The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, and Fight Club. To our Paranoia trilogy with The Parallax View and All the President's Men. We have covered a variety of adaptations. Those were some great discussions, especially Fight Club. And let's not forget our baseball series with The Natural and Field of Dreams, adapted from Shoeless Joe. And Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking. So many memorable conversations. Absolutely. And you know what's exciting? Each purchase you make through our links doesn't cost you any extra, but a percentage goes to support the next reel in our family of shows. You can support us while diving deeper into these fantastic stories, whether it's the paper, audiobook, or Kindle version. We've also included plays and movies. If they were the source, we've put it on there. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals, support the next reel, and get your next great read today. I'm off to reread Fight Club. Now, where did I put my Kindle? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. <clears throat> Hi. Frog throat. <laughs> I did. I just then, right after I started pressing record, I got a little frog. Oh. I, uh, I'm thrilled, uh, Dr. Nelson, once again, to be talking to you. <sighs> Likewise, Professor. Um, how uh, have have you been? Let's do the let let let's talk about about your your life in cinema. <laughs> so, well, it's just been a busy week. It's been it's been busy, busy, busy. Um, actually, I, I didn't have a chance to watch anything this week, really. Um, except, well. I, I I can get to some some really some clips of really terrible movies that I <laughs> that I <laughs> of all things ended up looking at, but no, it was it was a busy week. Uh, I was I was traveling, and then it's just a lot of work, a lot of grading papers. Uh, you know, it's just kind of nonstop week. But hmm. uh, but you know, hmm. it's good. Well, you look good. I'm sure <laughs> for all the work. I look good through, through the through the airwaves. I uh, I have not seen anything except for the movie that we are talking about this evening. But I have watched a ton of trailers, and one trailer that I have watched enough times to actually be uh, equivalent to a film. Oh wow, that's yeah. a lot of it watch, is a lot of trailers. I, I hope you can quote it. The can, whole thing. No, go ahead. Can you can you guess what trailer came out this week that I that a guy like me would watch? Uh, exactly 90 times <laughs> that's, that's that's a little more than a movie yeah it, well it's epic i watched it epic because i've shown everybody this trailer it has to be what was it was it um oh what's it now i'm blanking on this what is a fun it game <laughs> it's uh 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 it's that colin farrell movie no no, no, I did oh, watch that. That was last week. That, that was, was last week. week. No, but well, no, it wasn't actually. It was not. It was, well, it was and it was, was also this week. Yeah. So I suppose we should talk about that if you want to. The Total Recall 2012 reboot. Yes, yes. We don't need to talk. about it. We can, but yeah. I, I don't know. See, I haven't even seen a trailer, so I don't what? know what what. Trailers about. I know it's it's been nutty. That's week. like you not researching. It's someone like you. You usually are Research, so on top of these things. <laughs> You're way on top of these things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was not the trailer I was watching 90 times. It was the trailer for Hop 2. <laughs> That's just mean. It was the trailer for Ted. The Red Band trailer for Ted. The Red? I, I don't even know what you're talking about. You're talking in riddles now. Oh, my goodness. I have to go to Apple now and look yeah, at You really do. Ted. You really, really do. Oh, I okay. Now Ted is Ted is real. Ted is real.com. 
I don't even know what this is about. I just remember seeing something. Somebody posted, oh, the Family Guy people made this live action movie. (laughs) But I don't know what to say about it. Seth MacFarlane did this. He did this thing uh, with Mark Wahlberg and Mila Kunis. And uh, so the concept of the film is Mark Wahlberg, when he was a little boy, uh, has this lovable um, uh, teddy bear, this giant teddy bear when he's a little boy. It's like his size. And during, uh, you know, a late night uh, storm or something, there's, I don't know, he gets struck by lightning or something. And magically, oh, as he's, as <laughs> he wishes, times, you know, <laughs> well, let me tell, I'll tell you straight. I've only seen the green band trailer once, and that's the one that has all the story in it. The red band trailer is all the swearing. I gotcha. I gotcha. So, uh, and so the story is apparently he gets like struck by lightning or something and, and comes to life. And you know how most of these stories kind of play out, uh, which we've totally seen before the, you know, there's a, uh, the, the teddy bear to the protagonist is this living sort of guide or this living sort of fictitious thing that nobody else can see, right? I mean, you've totally seen that conceit before. Well, this is much more goes down the the realm of kind of Chucky, where Ted is his best friend, like, and ages and matures with him. And so they, you know, they smoke pot together, they go out with girls together, Ted the teddy bear has a job, uh, goes to the grocery store, he's just this foul mouth, awful, awful thing and the and so you know he is living with mark Wahlberg's character as mark Wahlberg meets mila kunis and uh they try to develop a relationship but it it doesn't that that's the fine and and the the bottom line is there is not a lot that is actually funnier than a swearing teddy bear that drinks beer There's not a lot that's funnier than that. Yeah, you probably don't need a whole lot more. No, you could just not just say just foul mouth teddy bear, and I, you have me for for the whole hour and a half. I am in, and that comes out July thirteenth. I'm very very excited for Ted. So so let me ask: have, Are you a fan of that TV show Wilfred? Is it Wilfred that's with the, or with, uh, with the with the Frodo and the dog? Yeah, right, right. Because that's I mean it's kind of a similar conceit where a man thinks or his his dog starts talking to him and, and in the show it's yeah, actually like a human being in dressed a in a dog costume yeah. who's yeah, actually standing there talking to him based on the australian i think it's an australian show originally and the, and the dog the guy who plays the dog is actually the the writer the, the guy who conceived the show mm. and uh, i am not into that show I'm not into it. I did not get into it. And I think it's because I think uh, uh, Frodo uh, really requires a, a sort of a specific role. I don't like him in this in this thing. I like him in a lot of stuff. What's his name? Come on. Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. What's his name, Andy? God, you're the guy. <laughs> this is on I want, you. I want, I, this I is want on you. you. To, I want you to guess. Here, I'll name movies that he's been in. <laughs> you come up with his name. How about North? <laughs> I just don't even. I'm so mad at you right now. What is How his name? The, was uh, it the Good Son? Wasn't he in the Good Son? I think he was the Good Son, or was it the Bad Son? And he was the good <laughs> one. Um. Uh, God. He was in uh, that soccer movie. What was that called? Green something. You're you're totally not helping. You're coming up with the most obscure movies ever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was in... He was was in Frodo. He was not in Harry Potter. He was in Happy Feet. 
Yes, he was. And Happy Feet 2. Yes, he was. He he was. Uh, he was Elijah Wood. Is there you go. That's what he go. was. God's there you go. Who knew it would be Happy Feet <laughs> that would bring it back to me? Of all the things. Of yeah. all the Green things. Street, that was, Green know. Street Hooligans. That was the soccer movie. Uh, well, okay. So that was the first trailer that I saw. That okay. I watched a lot. There have been a lot of uh, Avengers clips that have come out uh, because, you know, Avengers coming out next month. I am very mm-hmm. excited for Avengers. I don't know if you are as, as excited as I am. I know we've talked about Avengers before. I'm very excited about Avengers. I'm excited to watch it. I am, you know, I, I think that the cast is great. It looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I really didn't like Captain America. And so, you know, Captain America 2 has a, has a, uh, has a announced. date, a release date next year. Yeah. Uh, along with Thor 2 and Iron Man 3, all next year. Oh my goodness, it's going to be crazy. Big year, big year. Wonder are if they they're doing do... another Hulk movie or no? Yeah, they, I think they are doing another Hulk movie, and I think they are doing also, uh, well, I, what I, I, I don't know, the speculation is that which one's going to come next, Wasp or Ant-Man? And uh, neither of those are, are really as kind of headline-making characters, I don't think, as the ones they've already got out there. But man, now that Disney has Marvel, man, they've got a hell of a back catalog uh to pull from yeah these movies. there's a lot of stuff that they can be doing yeah. with that so it'll be interesting to see how they continue developing i have to say it was really weird i went with my daughter into the disney store to look at you know princess paraphernalia of course and and i turned around and there was a whole wall of of iron man and spider spider-man and I was like, what is going on? And then it finally clicked. Oh, yeah. it's. I'm like, that's not Disney. But yeah, of course, they own uh, all that stuff now. And so now, of course, they're they're profiting on it in every way oh, they yeah. can. That was really smart. That was really smart because of the just the, you know, Disney's been really floundering. And I think we're finally, hopefully getting up to speed with Pixar and Marvel and they'll start turning out some strong properties again. Well, they, yeah, I mean, having... Like like John properties like John Carter, yeah, you know that that's exactly the direction they need to move in. (laughs) Well, no, you know what? Here's the problem. They, I I don't even want to go into it. It was it was an execution problem, right? They forgot Uh, how they forgot the tie-ins. Like how many? Okay, you walk in through the uh, store, and how many uh, John Carter action figure toys are just falling off the shelves? You think that's the problem? <laughs> How many video games? How many John Carter video games are there? I, I think right? I think no. they gave up on trying to crank all that out because they realized no one actually was going to pay to see the movie. Because it is not a movie that screams for that stuff. It's not a movie that screams tie-in. And that's what, that's what creates the vicious circle is when you have yeah. Woody that people see, love, buy, and then go see again. Yeah. You have to love the characters in order to want the toys. There was no, there was no story, and the 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 thing that I've been saying after we talked about it last week, the thing I've been thinking more and more about this movie is that John Carter is not a lovable character, and the number one guy who should have known this, who should have figured this out, is Andrew Stanton. Andrew Stanton failed me on this one. He failed me, and I haven't even seen it. Yeah, I feel like it's been a failure for me, and I feel sad about it. Let's talk about something happier, and it's related (sighs) to John Carter only distantly. Okay. It makes me want to scream Riggins. He's got another one I'm pretty excited about. Savages. Where do you stand on Savages? You're you're bringing all these things up. I feel so stupid. <laughs> like I have I don't know anything that's going on. I'm going to tell you this anything. is one I thought you would be excited about. So write this down because it's Savages. This is Oliver Stone's new movie. Oh, pot growers Ben and Chan face off against the Mexican drug cartel who kidnapped their shared girlfriend. 
So a little mm. weird, but Oliver Stone, right? Um, I am, you know, Oliver Stone, he was so good for so long, right? Well, he's done some good things. And then he stopped doing good things. Well, he has done some good things, but I, you know, at the, I, I have been, let's just say, I was not interested in Wall Street 2. I tried to be. I was not. It was, yeah, it was uh, not very strong. He, I mean, he had a good run in the 80s and into the 90s. The 90s is when he really started getting into the whole conspiracy theory thing. And, you know, I think that kind of changed his direction a little bit and people kind of dismissed him a little bit. And then it's been here and there ever All since. All right. Here's, it, I'm going to tell you, uh, let's see, from Platoon, Wall mm-hmm. Street, Talk Radio, Born on the Fourth of July, The Doors, JFK, Even Heaven and Earth, Natural Born Killers, Nixon, U-Turn. I liked all these movies a lot. Any Given Sunday was fantastic. Exactly. Any Given Sunday. And then, oh my goodness, Alexander, please, World Trade Center. Uh, W was marginal, south of the border. I didn't see. It was a documentary he did. Wall Street 2 was terrible. Mm. And and so there's been a string of movies I'm totally, I, I was just really not into at all. And I think the trailer for Savages uh, gets back to those movies that I was I was really interested. It's got a, it's got a lot more natural born killers in it than, uh, than World Trade Center. I'm pretty yeah. excited about it. I'm pretty excited about it. Looks like a great trailer. You got to watch it. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Uh, um, yeah. Okay, what else do I want to tell you about? All right. So what I've been doing this week, which I shouldn't be doing. Other than watching trailers. Oh, that's right. There's some mysterious thing that you've been doing this week. I've been reading the script to Prometheus. Oh, my goodness. You Shame on you. I know. I know. Shame on you. I'm, I'm even... You're, I'm, you're uh, spoiling it all. I'm oh. totally spoiling it all. Well, don't spoil it for me or it's any of our listeners. Terrible. We're going to talk. Oh my gosh, no! It's terrible that I'm doing it. Let me tell you. Even if it's, I mean, even this, they could make this leaked version of the script. Which who knows if it's legitimate? I don't. I don't know. Looks legitimate. <laughs> I would want to see this movie badly. Yeah, I really would. I I have done that before with with films where I've found the scripts, but usually it's films like G.I. Joe or or things like of that caliber that I'm not too concerned if I'm spoiling it for myself. But, you know, to to be honest, I mean, one way or the other, it's going to be a a good surprise, whether it's the surprise when you're reading the script or whether it's the surprise when you're watching the film. Either way, I'm hoping that you'll still get a good rise out of it. That's a that's a very Zen approach to to spoilerage. Yeah. I like how you think of that. Yeah. So therefore, you know, spoilers well, are okay. I'm going to tell you, I'm very excited. I'm on the, <laughs> I'm don't on spoil the record. It. <laughs> I'm very excited about it, especially okay. this one part and then that other part. Did <sighs> you, you did watch the TED Talk, right? Oh, yeah. The, the Prometheus oh, yeah, TED well, Talk. It was fantastic. Yeah, I posted that. that. I, I totally Facebooked that bit. Yeah, I did too. It was good stuff. It was good stuff. And here's the reason I bring that up is because John Spates, right? Uh, one of the with Damon Lindelof mm-hmm. uh, wrote the script, and uh, John Spate. Uh, do you hear he's he has written? A, <laughs> I don't even think it's fair to even call it a reboot, but apparently Universal is rebooting the Mummy. Re- uh, another time, another time, and John Spate is uh, apparently has written the script. Hmm. You know, the third, I don't know the what third to think mummy of. movie. The first two I thought were rollo- uh, frolicking good times. I really quite uh, quite like them. The third one was terrible, dumb. 
The third one was the the Scorpion King, yeah. right? Uh, no, the third one that was a totally that was a spinoff of oh, the right, sequel. Right, right. So what? Oh, the third one was the Chinese was the Dragon uh, Emperor or something. Like see, I didn't see that one. I liked the concept. I it thought the not trailer good. looked pretty interesting, but it didn't uh, pull it off, huh? Yeah, no. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor was terrible. Yeah, terrible. But the Mummy and the Mummy Returns I thought were great, uh, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, if a good script can pull it off. Well, you know, here's the thing, though. And this is the same. Same goes for Spider-Man. Do is it is it critical that things get rebooted so quickly? I mean, I'm not. It's it's coming to this point in the studio system where they're so reliant upon these these names that they can cash in on over and over again that they're they're not even going to like the next thing in the line. Like, what's the next? superhero after spider-man that they could do yeah they're just gonna make spider-man but no let's just do spider-man again because that made so much money yeah you know i I don't know and the same thing with the mummy it's like you know i know it's i know that uh, i don't know well okay do you want to talk about your article that you found i just dropped something um that was so sad i think we it's been out since february that article i think and it was something you i think you've sent it to me before because i remember well, being sad about it it was already. february of last year yeah so yeah, yeah it's an old article um yeah i don't know where that article is right now i'd love to talk about it but i don't have it in front of me do you no i'm so unprepared only because uh, oh, the I day closed. it's called the it's uh here it is the day the movies died is a really it is a depressing article by Mark Harris, February 2011, um, just really talking about the nature of, of of film and how even a film that was original um, as as Inception, Christopher Nolan, you know, everyone was doubting that that would do anything. Even though this is a guy who made The Dark Knight and everything, but they were hesitant to. You know, give him the money and all that stuff, and they're just like, you know, what, we'll let you do it because you're going to do Batman three, and all this stuff, and it's just, you know, no one had confidence in it because it's an original script, and no one trusts in that anymore, and That's... it's really, it's just, it's kind of a sad state that the industry is taking. It doesn't seem to. I mean, even as February of last year, it doesn't seem to be getting much better. No, no, it doesn't. It's, uh, it's, I'm sure it's just only getting better. I mean, getting worse. Well, and then, yeah, because he lists off all the, the, I mean, it's kind of funny. And of course, this is all dated, but where's his list? Um, the films that came out in uh, 2011. Four adaptations of comic books, one prequel to an adaptation of a comic book, one sequel to a sequel to a movie based on a toy, one sequel to a sequel to a sequel to a movie based on an amusement park ride, one prequel to a remake, two sequels to cartoons, one sequel to a comedy, an adaptation of a children's book, an adaptation of a Saturday morning cartoon, one sequel with a four in the title, two sequels with a five in the title, one sequel that, if it were inclined to use numbers, would have to have a seven and a half in the title. <laughs> it was just, oh. Yeah, that was all last summer. Or last, yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was the last year. What was year. the seven and a half one? That was Harry Potter. Definitely oh, yeah, part two. Part two. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Although it was a it, uh, that was a good movie. I don't know if it's necessarily fair to count Harry Potter because that was a defined seven part. Like that that was a there was a canon to Harry Potter. Like they but knew when they started making Harry Potter that it was going to be seven parts. Well, yeah, but regardless, I, I think the point of the article is just the fact that 
you know, I mean, yes, it may have been an original novel, but it was still based on a novel yeah, that's and true. it was based on a series of novels. That's, and so it's yeah. not, it's not something that could stand on its own. Yeah. Now we'll know we're really in trouble when they make, you know, Harry Potter eight colon Hermione's side of the tale. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, let's, uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it does. It does make me sad. And that's why it makes me so happy to talk about uh, the movie that we're talking about tonight. What a segue. I know, right? It, this uh. improves my mood. <laughs> yes, yes. Fantastic film. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. This is uh, All the President's Men. There's 1976. So, There's so many things I'm so interested in uh, like, like talking about, just having read up on this movie more than I had ever done in the past. Uh where would this you where would you like to start? You really like. Well, I do. I really do. Why do you say that? Just because I'm a nerd. Because we're because our show's called Movies We Like, but this is uh one that you did a lot of more research on. So well, I don't know. I don't know. We'll really. see. <laughs> we'll see how the show goes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I did that much. Well, hey, it's it's a fantastic so, film. What do you what stands out to you about this movie? Why do you like why do you like this movie? Well, let me answer your first question cuz they both kind of take a different path. Uh, what stands out for me is what you I say think, before before you say that this is the uh the third in the um uh in Alan J Pakula's uh tr Paranoia trilogy. Right. And it's the third that we're going to be talking about um after Clute and uh the Parallax View which we did yes. last week. So you should go listen to those two shows too. And watch those movies. And definitely and watch, watch those movies. Yeah. And then start looking over your shoulder. <laughs> Seriously. You know, the thing that stands out for me with this film, um, and it, there are a few films that work as well as this, I think. It's, it's based on a true story. It's something that, you know, for... I, I won't say for everybody, because I think, you know, different people in different parts of the world probably have their own perspective on American politics, particularly um, back in the 70s, um, at least in present day, right? Um, but it's it's a film that portrays a moment that everybody realistically in the country back in 1976, really, who's watching the movie, should have known exactly what happened in the story, right? But right, because it, it was because it, had it just played out. Yeah, literally, it had just happened. Like the president had Nixon had just gone through the Watergate scandal and resigned. Everybody was aware of that. Uh, you know, the, it's pretty big news when the president of a country resigns. And um, this movie talks about, you know, how that all came to be. Everybody was all aware of how the story was going to end. That being said, it is still such a gripping film. And it's it's so engrossing that you just cannot stop watching it, and you it's it has so many tense scenes, regardless of the fact that you know what's going on, and that to me is a sign of incredibly solid filmmaking from beginning to end, where you just buy into it hook line and sinker, it pulls you along for a ride because it's so good, and it doesn't matter that you already know where it's going. It's the ride that is exhilarating. The, I, I think you really hit it. This this movie, uh, the you know, we talk about pacing a lot when we talk about these things, and and I think this movie in particular shows 
an artistry in the the general sort of dramatic construction and pacing mm. that so few movies have. And and the, the I just I found myself sitting there. I was watching it today, and I was sitting there just over and over saying, "This guy, Pakula, is patient." I I cannot think of a director of a storyteller who is is more patient than this guy is right here to let the story play out and to let every single shot play out uh the way he does uh, I think is just it it is a further refinement of what we talked about last week with the parallax view and the parallax view I think in in so many respects is uh, uh you know really gives us that that wide sort of expanse. You know, we talked about how all the shots are wide and you have these long, long cuts of, of, you know, people just going up escalators and that, that builds the tension. But in, in many respects that to me, that felt like, like just sort of a, um, it was a blunt instrument, right? And, and this movie is a, a scalpel of just absolute precision. Uh, every single nuance is is so uh, so perfectly intentioned um, that I, you know it's just one of those movies that you get so much out of every time you watch it. Yeah, that's true. All the way through, like right from the start, all the way through the end. Yeah, I mean, just to talk about the start, what, the the, the so keyboard, powerful. right? Yeah, you're looking at a white screen for I don't know what it is, fifteen twenty seconds. Um, and Robert Redford was talking about how what the intention was, although I don't know if it really played out that way in the theaters, was the lights would come down and you just see a white screen and people would be thinking that the film hadn't started yet because it just looked like the, the film screen, right? And so people were just kind of twiddling their thumbs, just kind of not paying attention. And then all of a sudden, wham, you know, that that giant you know uh typewriter uh key swings yeah. up and smacks the letter j right on the paper and you realize that you're looking at an extreme close-up of a piece of paper as it types this thing out and it's just the sound is so intense and man if that's not something that just pulls you in and builds this intensity and that's a great way to start and and he just keeps that the tension all the way through there's well, just so many good good scenes and shots like you were just saying well, they're, they're perfect. And I think going right out of that, uh, you know, when you talk about that sort of the, the hook that you get with that typewriter, and I think just the general use of the typewriter throughout is, is um, really um, beautiful. Uh, but going out of that, he goes straight into media, mm -hmm. right? They, they play back the film of you know of of the uh, you know of of Nixon going in to returning he it's his return trip from China exactly he's going yeah. he's going in to give his um to to talk to the the combined house right and he lets that go for so long you actually get lost in the applause of Congress mm -hmm. you actually get lost in um. In, in the media that, and I have to imagine if you were sitting in theaters at the time, that you had just seen, and yet it feels like you're watching a playback of it, and you you forget. I mean, that is, to me, the effect of, of using the media like that before you have any actor speak one word mm -hmm. 
is it brings you into the reality so effectively by the time you actually see the first characters, the the first, um, you know, we're we're in the um, the break in the break in. Yeah. Uh, you feel like you are you are a part of this world, and I think the movie just nails it. Yeah, it's just it's so intense, and it's just it's it's it is like a mystery film. You know, it's it's just so wonderfully done. Um, and you know, having uh, having it look the way it does, like it, like uh, you know, our our buddy Gordon, mm-hmm. uh, who had shot the last two films for uh, for Pakula. Um, I, there's one in between. I, f- I feel like I, I can't remember. I don't think he shot that one. Um, what was the film that was in between? Because he shot Clute, and then there was one, Love and Pain and the Whole Damn Thing, the Parallax yeah. View, starting over. Wait, I'm skipping something. It's good. Starting over was later. Uh, the Parallax View, uh, then All the Presidents Men. So it was just Love yeah, and Pain Clute, and the Whole Damn Clute, Thing. Clute, Love and Pain and the Whole Damn Parallax View and All the Presidents yeah. Men. But I don't... You look love and pain and the whole damn thing. I feel like um, there's the crew. I, I don't think that uh, that Gordon shot this one. Uh, no, Jeffrey Unsworth shot that one. So, so these three films, though, you know, he shot, and it, the darkness all the way through um, really stands out. Uh, not just the darkness, but also the brightness. I mean, the press room is such a gorgeously lit scene, you know, or location. It's just such this even light. It's just glowing, emanating everywhere. It's just, it's beautifully lit. And it really contrasts with the rest of the darkness of the story. The darkness of the story in in every, I mean, it feels like if you're not in the newsroom, then you're lit by car headlights or flashlights. Yeah. You know, I mean, everything just feels really gloomy. The, the newsroom, which is sort of ironic, right? Because this is, this was sort of the, the era before, um, you know, when, when the media was still doing reportage and mm-hmm. not, not so much punditry. And, um, it, it was, uh, a period where the, the whole media kind of organization, the whole media infra- infrastructure got to play the hero in this film uh, in, in many ways where you have what, what, Carl Bernstein and, and Bob Woodward represented to the Washington Post, but also, uh, you know, uh, Harry Rosenfeld and and um, Ben Bradley, who is mm-hmm. uh, brilliantly played by Jason Robards, uh, and and that the whole editorial team, um, you know, represent this sort of level of intellectual uh, and uh, heroism. Uh, in the face of a mistrusted or, or distrusted political system, and not yeah. just distrusted, but bumbling. I mean, right. the way they play the initial robbery is is uh, you know it, it it you almost would be less surprised if when the guard and the police actually open the door, if you know Fozzie Bear and the Swedish Chef put their hands up, like it. <laughs> Th- those five idiots standing in that room are yeah. they're played as such doofuses they are they really are when, and and then they parade them into court and you say you know where, where are you well i'm retired central yeah. <coughs> <Yeah. coughs> intelligence agency you know yeah. <laughs> uh oh, it was really beautifully done uh, can we let's talk a little bit about the writing yeah i mean obviously um Carl Bernstein, Bob Woodward, the two journalists who broke this story, 
they wrote a book that came out um, two years before mm-hmm. the movie. Was it two years? It came out in 74, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, the film came out in 76. And uh, it was written by uh, none other than the amazing William Goldman, who, um, you know, I, I, from my understanding, he delivered a really solid script, but it needed work um, at, based on what Robert Redford and Alan J. Pakula were expecting. Um, then they brought in, um, well, actually, uh, who was it who wrote it, uh, or who uh, Bernstein actually went in? Carl Bernstein was dating Nora Ephraim at the time. That, that's and the right. the two of them wrote a draft of the script, and everybody hated it except for yeah. one scene. Right, right. And, and this is the part that I think is, there were two pieces of this that are so interesting. The only scene that remains in the movie from the, the Bernstein-Ephraim script is the scene where Carl Bernstein tricks the secretary and sneaks into the the office that he would he had been waiting oh, all really? day. Uh, <laughs> that's the only scene, and it is apparently the only scene that is wholly fictitious. Oh, really? In the whole film, the whole adaptation, hmm. uh, apparently Pakula and Redford and um, and what's his name? We just said his name, and now it's gone. Uh, William Goldman. William Goldman, right? Apparently, the three of them worked at great length to do appropriate interviews to uh, with all of the media people that were working at the Washington Post at the time that had been through this, to, with the political figures, to make sure they documented correctly. The entire film is, you know, obviously from their perspective, incredibly thoroughly and well researched, except for that scene, the only fake, uh, the only piece of fiction in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, uh, the quote from, from William Goldman that I thought was so interesting is that he had said in stories in the screen trade, uh, that if he could go back and do it again, uh, he would, uh, he would absolutely not have taken this job that he hmm. would distance himself as far as he can from this f- script. Really? Yeah. Does he say why? No, I don't, huh. I don't, I don't see why. That's interesting. Well, you know, I don't, I I think that people, uh, people being Redford and Pakula felt that, you know, there were things with his draft that definitely needed work. Um, So maybe it was the fact that they pushed for so much change, obviously with Bernstein and Nora Ephron making their changes, everything, and and they didn't have William Goldman making the changes. Well, and and William Goldman, uh, William Goldman never read the Bernstein script. He for what they what he says are legal reasons he could not actually read the script, oh, uh, and so they, they you know when Redford and and Pakula went back and said you know we 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 hated the Bernstein script we're going to go back to you but but here's what we want you to do, mm-hmm. um, it was appar- apparently quite an arduous journey to get this script to to screen, hmm. and yet, yeah but incredibly okay, powerful and one of the things that I think is so powerful about this movie is it seems to be. Uh, the culmination of an effort to strike every single word that isn't absolutely in service to the scene, to the act, to the script. I mean, it is. This is about as efficient uh, a use of language, of what I would say, sort of use of common language, as I, I think you'd see in the script. I mean, it is very dialogue dialogue light and really heavy on intense interpersonal moments 
Uh, and I, I think specifically when the reporters are, you know, interviewing people, yeah. Yeah. The, the waiting is so thick. Yeah, it is. It is. I think my one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, well, I mean, there's so many. Uh, you know, I love the deep throat scenes with Hal Holbrook, but um, the scene that always stands out to me is the scene when um, uh, Woodward is on the phone calling. Um, I can't remember his name. Dahlberg, the guy in Minnesota, right? He yes. calls Dahlberg. He reaches Dahlberg. Dahlberg, you know, gives him a little bit of information. Um, he gets a call coming in from, no, he calls the guy at, um, the, uh, the, the, what's him call it? The group to reelect or whatever. I'm creep, blanking on creep committee, committee to reelect. Right. Uh, yeah. Creep he calls the, the guy there who's running creep. Um, and then, you know, Dahlberg calls back and gives him information and just like, the way that he's the intercutting between changing lines and all that stuff starts getting so intense and and you don't even realize it but you're watching one shot of that phone conversation that's 6 minutes long and it starts on this wide shot well not wide shot it's it's, it's not even shot. that wide it's a medium shot and it's it's a medium it, shot of him at his desk but you can also see they use a split diopter lens which basically has kind of a an invisible line down the middle of it that gives you two different planes of focus. So on the right side of the frame is him in focus, you know, in a medium shot. On the left side of the frame is in the background, like in the wide distance of the of the newsroom is a group of people watching the news and listening to it. And the distraction of that is he's trying to focus on this conversation. And then I never even notice until it's almost too late the camera is zooming in on him the whole time. And it, it finally hits me. I'm like, oh my God, we've been zooming in this whole time. It just builds this intensity in, in, as you're getting this information. And, he, and he's struggling to just like pull the information from people in any way he can. Um, it's such an intense scene. And it's six minutes. It's this amazing six minute shot. And it's just one of the standout moments of the film for me because it, it really defines just that intensity in this this uh, drive that these people have to uncover the truth. Well, and and it highlights uh, really one of the great performances of Robert Redford's career. I mean, he's mm -hmm. he is uh, it. It's six minutes of um, fantastic one-sided interrogation where you get him playing off of a phone, off of two phones, mm -hmm. uh, for six minutes in a way that that builds intensity. It builds pressure. And you you want to hear you you don't even know what you want to hear, but what you want is that look of relief. It's that same look of relief that hits early in the film when he's when Redford is doing his his initial or uh, Woodward is doing his initial investigation and he's talking about you know, um, uh, oh gosh, how, what's his name uh, Howard. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, anyway, he's saying, you know, well, you know, if you he's on the phone with the guy and he says, well, of course, you know, he did time with the CIA. Right, right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, surely if you're doing this kind of background investigation, you would have discovered that he's in the CIA. He was in the CIA. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, of right. course I would have. And there, that there's yeah. that that perfect look mm -hmm. uh, that you get on Redford's face that that you you see that that sort of realization that he has something and he's going to he he now he now has a purpose. Yeah. That's yeah. that's where you see purpose delivered, and it's kind of, oh, man, he's got 
he's got this way of using the whites of his eyes, <laughs> like the way yeah. his head tilts, but he looks up. So you get this just look of just sort of quizzical, um, uh, just sort of re- realization. It's just really beautiful. He plays yeah, that so well. It is. It's stunning. It really is. It's a, at its core, this movie is really a buddy movie. You know? Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's two guys who who are kind of, you know, I, I won't say it's a contentious relationship, but it's, you know, it's definitely kind of a, you know, two people who wouldn't normally be working together thrust together to do something, you know? Yeah, you know, because it's not, I mean, it's, what you're watching is is them building a relationship through pressure and investigation that is uh, it's it's certainly not a mystery because the audience knows how it's going to play out it's mm-hmm. sort of a thriller uh because the audience actually knows more than the characters who are doing the investigation right right uh but but at its very core it is it this is a movie about uh these two guys who are learning to trust one another and about them learning to work together to gain the trust of, of you know, of their mentors, of the people mm-hmm. who they deeply, deeply want to impress. Yeah. And there are so many perfect elements in this, or perfect bits in the script where, uh, where you watch, particularly Woodward, uh, defend getting kicked, getting sand kicked in his face by uh, Ben Bradley. Of course, yeah. of course, we don't have enough. We don't have the story. We, we mm-hmm. don't have the story. We've got to get more. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, leads him to contacting his, his, uh, source, his secret source, Deep Throat. Mm-hmm. And that leads to just those, you know, fantastically dark, creepy as all get out scenes in the parking garage when he, um, you know, is talking to Deep Throat down there. And it's just, it's, uh, they're so well done. And it's just so interesting how little information Deep Throat kind of gives him and, and really forces him to, to find these puzzle pieces and put them together. Yeah, Hal Holbrook is terrific. No, oh, he's just, he's a class act. He really is. Really does a great job um, with, the, with the Deep Throat character. That whole, that whole bit, he's, you know, He's the smoking man. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it really is. <sighs> Didn't really think about it that way, but you're right. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. That split diopter got me really thinking. Have you ever have you ever shot with a split diopter? Adapter? I don't I don't know anybody um who I work with who has. It's it's not um it's not as common these days, but I love the effect. I and do they too. use it they use it quite frequently in this always hiding the line. Um, either vertically or horizontally, somewhere like on a column or across like the edge of a desk or, you yeah. know, or even there's a, sh- there's an arm. There's usually like in the, in the office, they get this mm-hmm. awesome, you know, Redford's phone arm is always just mm-hmm. perfectly vertical. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you start to, I, I had, I don't know, it's, it's used so well in this movie that it's always a surprise that, you know, how are they doing that? How am I able to see the TV in focus when he is so far away. Uh, but then I, you know, I was just doing a search for it. Man, these things were used all over the place in the seventies. Yeah, they were, it, it was a popular tool because they could get some really unique looks with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but you know, in the last two Gordon Willis films, we watched, I don't recall any split diopter 
shots. Were there yeah. any? There weren't I don't, any. I don't think Parallax there were. No. no, I don't think but so. But Parallax View had so many of these just great big scapes, these wide angle. Yeah. Which uh, this definitely does have as well. Particularly, I think the standout is the Library of Congress shot yeah. that's directly over their head as they're looking through this enormous um, stack of checkout cards from all the books. I'm glad you brought the, that up. Okay, and the ahead. camera just yeah. pulls up, and it's there's a couple dissolves, but essentially we start just over their heads, and we end up like on the ceiling, looking down on this enormous, enormous space. Um, again, this architectural space that our characters are in, and it looks like this giant wheel and our or a giant cog almost, and our characters are just like little specks caught on the cog of do you, the system. Do you notice whether or not the the there's any movement, uh, like a slight rotation back and forth, uh, particularly when it pulls out at its very farthest. It looks like it. I don't. You I, know, I'm trying so to figure. Is that like an like, artifact, or was that I, intentional? I, I think back in the '70s. Um, I, I mean, it, I see some shaking in the camera at some point. Um, my sense is that, and I, I really have no idea how they did this, but my sense is that it was on some sort of like a. Uh, a rope mechanism that they basically were just lifting straight up and it um you know it just had some wobble and some natural movement that they had to kind of disguise um it, i don't know i don't know okay. but I, i'm not sure if it was intentional my my hunch is it wasn't intentional yeah i you know it, it might have uh, obviously i mean I, i'm thinking it could be just you know film mechanism shutter jitter you know Mm -hmm. uh, mechanical kind of yeah. thing. It was just so regular, and I'm watching, and I'm thinking, wow, it, they've kind of got me turning my head just a few degrees. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that they meant to do that. Uh, but the, but the they, other, I was going to say, the other standout sort of wide shot is just the way they portray the newsroom as being oh, this yeah. just massive warehouse of desks mm -hmm. uh and then never I, you know even if the the you know the desk the cubicles have you know some of the cubicles you can kind of get the the feeling of like departments are split with higher cubicles most of the cubicle walls are very low um they're like the half walls but every placement every camera placement captures uh, you know, at least 10 or 15 rows of lights of that are totally unbroken. And so you get the feeling that no matter what the action is that you're looking at, there is something going on behind you every single shot. And that means when they do these dissolves to show time passing from the active kind of movement of the newsroom to nobody left in the newsroom, it's a huge impact. Oh, yeah. That visual impact when it's just the place is deserted. Right. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it is a really interesting environment. And you know that entire newsroom was all built on a stage. They uh, were not able to actually use the newsroom. Obviously, the newspaper is actually using it seven days a week, so they had to build their entire set. And they went so far. I mean, they they took pictures like ridiculous research pictures of the actual Washington Post newsroom but they then went a step further and it, like collected the actual trash from the Washington Post that they could use in the trash cans at their place uh, I mean it, it they went so far trying to recreate it like inch by inch across the entire newsroom I mean it's it's pretty stunning 
that uh, that they uh, made it look so good. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. It really, I mean, it does feel like a working newsroom. I was just, uh, just while you were talking, I was bringing that up, and I, it looks like they, the cost of the reconstruction of that newsroom was just under a half a million dollars. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Holy cow. Half a million dollars to build that entire set. Yeah. It seems like nothing. And, and even like the phone books, like they actually recreated all those those phone books uh, from all the different states and everything that they could, that he could be flipping through when he was trying to find Dahlberg's number. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's nuts. I mean, I think it, it won, uh, George Jenkins, uh, the production designer, rightfully won an Oscar um, for that, along with George Gaines, uh, set decorator, um, at the Oscars. And uh, it, I mean, everything just looks stunning in it this film. It is meticulous. Mm -hmm. uh, so what about the numbers? How did this movie do? It, I don't know what the budget was, but it domestically, it grossed um, just ab about 70, 70.6 million, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for a, uh, a 1976 film. I think that was probably considered pretty good. It fared well. It uh, was a popular film. It's got, it got very good reviews. How, uh, and, uh, yeah, very good reviews. How does that, I'm just bringing up um, uh, Clute, which I think we said uh, that it brought in 12 million mm -hmm. and change. And then um, the Parallax View. We couldn't find any. That one we couldn't find. One. So somewhere right. between Clute and the Parallax View, he, he, uh, People started really uh, getting into these movies. What a great uh, property, though! Uh, if you're gonna, if if you're gonna, you know, as a capstone to this um, unofficial trilogy, you know, you have these stories about mistrust that you're trying to get out, and then this thing comes along, yeah, uh, to get your hands on. Yeah, Beautiful. I mean, it, you know, Robert Redford is the one who actually. Um, secured this. He, he he secured the rights to the story. He actually. Um, yeah, he he kind of was tracking it from from the beginning and uh, feeling like there could be something there, and then he he came across a profile of Woodward and Bernstein as the two guys. Um, so beyond the actual story itself, he came across the the story of these two reporters, and he said, "Now that's an interesting story." Mm -hmm. One guy was this is what Robert Redford's quote is: "One guy was a Jew, the other guy was a wasp. One guy was an extreme liberal, and the other guy was a Republican. One guy was considered a better writer than the other. They didn't like each other, and yet they had to work together." I thought that I would love to do a little black and white movie that maybe I could produce with two unknown actors, just a small movie. So. <laughs> 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 Obviously, that changed a little bit as he uh, moved forward with it. But um, well, it is truly a fantastic film. Yeah, fantastic yeah. film. Uh, you Stunning. is this one on your list of? Uh, is this one one of the scripts you teach? It's not. No, it's not. I uh, I have a specific set of scripts from the book that I teach. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, it's not in this um but it, it is a, it's a stunning it's a it's just a fantastic script it really is fantastic script fantastic film i mean it's just it's hard to go wrong with anything in it really from beginning to end the cast is spectacular aside from robert redford and dustin hoffman and just jason robards who is i think he won the oscar for best supporting actor for this um and then uh we've got um jack warden who 
always has had a place in my heart because of uh, the wonderful, wonderful TV show that he was in, in the, um, gosh, was it the 80s, Crazy Like a Fox? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, You're a big Crazy Like a Fox fan. I loved that movie. I just, I couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> I think it only ran for like, I don't know, one or two seasons, but I just loved it. That was just such a great film. So that, that was my introduction to him as a kid. And then uh, I just, you know, he's been in so many good movies. Yeah. I mean, he's 12 Angry Men, uh, Being well, and, There. And we should say Martin Balsam. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Is uh, terrific. Jane Alexander is not in it very long. Uh, but... She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Nominated for Best Supporting for, I think she was in it like 12 minutes or something. Yeah, very uh, short. Meredith Baxter, great. the young, mm-hmm. young yeah. Meredith Baxter. Uh, yeah. And of course, uh, Ned Beatty. Again, not in it very long, but... But man, boy, he brings a lot to that scene. I as, love as Ned Beatty. Yeah, I do too. He's so good. Uh, and, and you know, I think the... Uh, one of the, the sort of unsung... <laughs> the unsung heroes of the film is Stephen Collins as as Hugh Sloan, and I think Stephen Collins is uh, is one of those actors that that is just he's a utility player. You yeah. know, he he always sort of just fits. He in this film he plays the sheepish, guilty guy who just you know. Now this is as in contrast to Robert Walden as as Donald Segretti, who plays the creepy, guilty guy. Uh, you know, it's just really terrific performances. Yeah. And, you know, uh, James Karen, good good old Jimmy Karen um, plays uh, Stephen Collins lawyer very briefly in one little scene at the end, but I've worked with, uh, I've worked with him before. He's a fantastic, fantastic actor. Who's just one of the most uh, congenial people you could meet. And he's been, I mean, he's been acting since the sixties. I mean, he was, you know, he was in, uh, you know, Frankenstein meets the space monster. He was in Hercules in New York. He was in this. He was in Capricorn One, China yeah. Syndrome. Jazz singer. Jazz singer. Poltergeist. Poltergeist was the dead. one, I think, where I I first, uh, I first sort of knew of him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just, just a, great. Yeah. I love, I love James Karen. Great stuff. And then Polly Holiday. You can't go wrong with her. Yeah. Flow. Flow. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, Gotta man. love that. So, I mean, the cast is great. Um, it, it was nominated for eight Oscars, it, uh, best picture, best editing, best director, supporting actress, best, um, adapted script, best sound, best art direction, set decoration, best supporting actor. And it won those last four, um, William Goldman got an Oscar for the script, the best sound. Um, and then I already, um, said Jason Robards and, uh, the production designers. So, um, you know, really great film. And, you know, we've talked about this before, how great of a year in film this was. You know, um, the five pictures nominated for Best Picture that year. I mean, it was up against Taxi Driver, Network, Bound for Glory, and Rocky. I mean, just just what a year yeah. for films. I mean, you can't go wrong with any of those. Uh, this was that thing where you wanted to do a series of the whole year. I do. I, w- I wanted to do the 1976 Best Picture nominees because I think all five of those are just such great yeah, films. Terrific. Yeah. Well, uh, this is uh, certainly uh, certainly merits being on the list of the uh, of the movies we like. It is it is really a terrific uh, movie, and I I think of the three, 
to me, this movie of the three really holds up as the best one. Um, uh, and, and it feels like the other two were, were, were done on the practice field. Uh, this one just captures all of the elements that I liked in the first two movies, uh, Clute and the Parallax View, and it just executes on, on all cylinders. I think it's just beautiful. It, yeah, I mean, there's uh, nary a problem with this film. Can I say that? Can I, I say nary a problem? <laughs> no, I I don't think that you can. I don't I think can't? that I think we're gonna veto nary. Oh, from here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got nothing uh, else. What are we gonna good. do? We know what we're gonna do uh, next. Are we? Is this another thing where we're gonna be uh, surprised? Well, we're surprising people. We're, we're, we're gonna. Be we will surprised. be equally surprised. Yeah. No, well, we're going to do, um, I think, in honor of the season, right? Oh, sure we are. Yeah, yeah. in honor in honor of, of baseball starting up this week, I think we're going to do a baseball series. That's awesome. I'm very excited. I'm a big fan of baseball movies. But yeah. we're not going to tell which baseball movies we're going to do. No, that'll be a surprise. That's that's the surprise. We that's won't say surprise. which ones we're going to be doing. So we're hitting baseball. So, but, but we're still determining if next week is going to actually be the official start of the baseball series or not, right? That's right. That's right. We may need to take a we may need to take a rain week, uh, <laughs> take a pass. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, uh, I will be. I will be. Uh, if we are doing a show, I will be doing it from uh, Beantown, Boston, which is not a bad town to be doing a baseball uh, film. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what we can work out. Yep. That's all I got. Wonderful. Um, do do your little spiel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to do a spiel. Well, why don't you uh, why don't you tell the world where they can where they can find you, Andrew? They can find me at rashpixel.tv. <laughs> no, is that the easier way to just say it? Y- yes, you can find me at at, at the movie monkey on Twitter. That's and... so nice that you just did that. <laughs> rashpixel.tv. You bet you can. That's right. You don't need to go anywhere else. There's even there's a little there's a little place on there you can click at show hosts and you can click right there on Andy's Andy's little name and it'll bring up his little face and his little Twitter. All, all my links, <laughs> yes. Uh, you can find all the other rash pixel shows there too you can make sure that you subscribe to the show in itunes that would really help us out and if you like the show and you like the movies that we're talking about uh join the conversation on uh, facebook uh, uh, the rash pixel page or or either of uh, andy and my page we all we we talk all over the place or on the or google iTunes plus page com- or itunes comments or itunes comments absolutely uh, we pretty much comment anywhere you want Yes, we will we uh, do our best all. to answer. And uh, and and uh, yeah, you can find me there too, Rash Pixel TV. I'm not hard to track down. That's right. Uh, so that's uh, that's all I got. Uh, you can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, uh, and that is also free. And you just jump into your app store of choice, and you can subscribe to the show uh, in Stitcher Smart Radio app for Android, iPad, iOS, iPhone. Um. Kindle Fire. All, all those good things. Uh, Palm Pre, maybe. <laughs> I don't I don't actually know about that. That's yeah. all I got. So go subscribe to the show. We really appreciate it. And and to all of you who have uh uh who, who have written in and, and commented on the show already, thank you. Keep doing it. We like hearing from you. You guys are awesome. Yes, we do. That's what we got. Good Fantastic. Show, I'll talk to you next week, my friend. Nary a problem with this episode. <laughs> Well, there wasn't. Uh, Not until that, huh? (laughs) 
I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>